Hey everybody, thanks for joining us at the Central and Janesville podcast. Please remember to check us out on centraljanesville.com throughout the week. We're excited for wherever God's got you at right now, and we hope this message brings you a little closer. Thanks. Hey, good morning, everybody. How you doing today? Good. It's good to see your faces. My name is Josh, and it's an honor to be with you this morning. We are in a sermon series called Straight Out of Context, and we're just recognizing the fact that context matters. Uh, it matters so much that I, I want to show that first slide up there, Judy. You've probably seen these signs all over the country, right? In fact, everywhere I go and I see road construction, I see these signs protesting its work immediately after the construction zone, right? And I think this is one of the most, the most effective anti-road work campaigns I've ever seen throughout the country. And I've traveled a lot, and I've seen them in every city, every state, no matter what. In fact, I think it's the best anti-anything com- campaign I've ever seen. And we all know that that's not what this means, right? You see this in the proper context, you know that road work is done, you can now proceed to the, to the route or the speed that you were going, right? But what if I were to just write end road work on a cardboard piece of paper and just stand there on the highway? It would look like I'm protesting it, correct? Like I'm anti-road work. But we all know, context matters. That's not what it means. Or I want you to just have some fun with me this morning And help me discern, there are some songs we sing in church that sound a lot like they could be songs that you danced to in junior high. If you don't know the context, you think it's just another love song sung to a girl or a guy, and it's very romantic. So I want to test your knowledge and see if you know if these lyrics are from a song that is a song we would sing in church, or if it's from a song you would hear on Magic 98. So let's let's look at that first slide, Judy. You're the light in my deepest, darkest hour. You're my savior when I fall. Is that a worship song or a pop love song? Who thinks it's a worship song? All right, we got some hands. Who thinks it's a pop love song? Does anybody know the lyric? It's from the Bee Gees, How Deep Is Your Love, right? That's a great song, right? All right, how about this one? Then you came along... And put me back together and every desire is now satisfied here in your love. Oh, that sounds sweet. Is that a worship song, anybody? What do you think? Worship song? Okay. Is it a pop love song? Does anybody know the title? Elevation Worship, Graves in the Gardens. Right? We sing that one in church. But if you didn't know the context, you'd just be like, oh, my girl. Right? All right. Teenagers in the room, you might know this one. I like this one. And all at once, you are the one I've been waiting for, king of my heart, body, and soul. Some of these lyrics sound a little creepy, right? Worship song, anybody? Oh, no one. You're all like, nope, too creepy for my good. Pop love song? Yeah, that one's uh, called King of My Heart by T. Swift, right? All right, we got a couple more. My mom used to play this all the time when I was in sixth grade. Maybe you recognize it. You were my strength when I was weak. You were my voice when I couldn't speak. Is that a worship song, anybody? Okay. Or is that a pop love song? Any Celine Dion fans out there? Anybody want to try singing it? You remember it? Yeah, that's from like 1994. Hot dog. All right. How about about a couple more? Your fragrance is intoxicating. 
in our secret place. Talk about creepy, right? Ooh, what does that even mean? Your fragrance, my fragrance is not intoxicating at all. Ooh, what do, what do we think? Is that a worship song, anybody? Or a pop love song? Or is it just a creepy stalker song? Maybe. Let's look at it. Casting crowns, your love is extravagant. Right, but in the right context, it's not as creepy. And we know who we're singing to or about or for. Are you guys want to do one more? How about one more? I want my baby back, baby back, baby back ribs. Now, what, what do we think? Is that a worship song? No one, no one's going to even, oh, thank you, sir. Or is that a pop love song? Neither. It was in a commercial. But for some of us, we love ribs that much where we would err on the side of worshiping them a little bit. Well, today we are talking indeed about context, that context matters. Not just the verse you're reading, you need to know who he's writing to. In this case, Paul's writing a letter to the Philippians. Who's he writing to? What's he writing about? What's the circumstance that Paul is writing from? And then all of that needs to be encompassed, not only in the chapter or that book, but in all of the New Testament and all of the Old Testament combined, right? We need to know the narrative that is going on. We need to know the character and heart of God behind of it, behind it, as well as the character and heart of Paul behind it. So today we are going to be talking about three things, and I've been practicing uh, doing my preaching enough to know that when you do three things, you got to start them all with the same letter, and that they always have to come in sequences of threes. So let's try this. We are going to be talking today about exploring the content embracing contentment, and enduring the call. Let's look at it first, exploring the content. So today we are talking about Philippians chapter 4, verse 13. And some of you may know that. I've had it memorized since eighth grade. And it was one of my favorite verses, but I never really knew the context of it. I always just heard it as a really encouraging verse that made me feel like I'm not alone and God's strength is right there with me. But that verse, can anybody quote it for me? Philippians 4.13, I can do what? Through Christ who strengthens me, right? But Paul is writing this verse out of the context of being imprisoned. And prison back in the day is not like prison today. It's not like he had three square meals. It's not like he had outdoor time or television time. In fact, one of my friends showed me a picture. He was just in Ephesus last month, and he showed me a picture of the holding cell that Paul and Peter would have been in. And it was literally a hole dug into the floor. Below that hole was just a nine-foot drop. The only way in was through that hole. So Paul and Peter would have been thrown into that hole nine feet down to the ground. And the only way to receive any human contact or any gifts was through little slots in that hole. So when Paul was asking the church for a cloak because he was cold, they shoved it down through that hole. Or when he was asking for parchment and ink so that he could write these letters of encouragement to the churches, down through that hole. Pretty amazing stuff, but not a circumstance I would want to be in, especially saying something like, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But here's the thing, despite the circumstance, Paul is not writing from some sunny optimism or positive mental attitude as much as he was writing from his confidence in knowing that God is and always has been in control. That even while in prison, God took the circumstance, as, as Kellen said last week, to increase 
rather than decrease. He took this circumstance to write a letter of encouragement to the church of Philippi. And not only that, while in prison, he ministered to that Roman guard who he was chained to and brought him to the saving grace of Jesus Christ as well. He used these less than ideal circumstantial opportunities to minister and to increase rather than decrease. And gosh, this message talking about the context of Paul in that circumstance and then it leading to contentment, I got to be honest with you, I've been working on this for about a month and it has been a test for me and my family. And I do believe that, that the enemy does attack when you're having to speak on the Lord's behalf. And so in talking about contentment, boy, have I been tested. We had one car totaled, our van died on the middle of our way to vacation, two of our pets died, right? And it, like, circumstantial, they, they don't seem like, well, Paul was in prison, so Josh, like, come on. But in our context, this is rough. Finances are tight. I mean, who's there, right? But God has been showing me in real time how to practice contentment in the context of these horrible circumstances. And this is what Paul wants to write to us today. Let's, let's start at verse 4. So rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all people. The Lord is near. He has not abandoned you. So therefore, don't be anxious about anything. Again, he's throwing the big words that you're never supposed to use in a marital argument, right? You never say always. You never say never. You never say everything or anything, right? Husbands and wives, anybody? That's the first thing we were taught in marital counseling. Don't say the extremes. But Paul's using the extremes. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and pleading with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And this, verse 7, is what I use often when I'm praying over my own heart and when I'm praying over others. And the peace that passes all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. I like this translation here. It actually says, and the peace that passes all comprehension. It goes beyond what we can understand. It goes beyond our, our depth of knowing. It's like what, what God says to Job at the end of the book, starting in verse, or chapter 36. Were you there when I laid the foundations of the earth? Were you there when I told the ocean it could only go this far? Were you there when I crafted the monster Leviathan? Can you wrestle him to the ground? Do you know the depths of why I do what I do? Do you even have a glimpse of understanding of why I chose this and not that? It's humbling, it's terrifying, and it's beautiful all at the same time because that recognizes that God is indeed in control, whether I like the circumstances or not. Let's continue. Finally, brothers and sisters, Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, think about these things. As for the things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, remember, he's showing by example, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. But I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked an opportunity to act. 
But now he's saying, but now that I'm in prison, you have a way to help me. Not that I speak from need, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with little. And I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret, whether being fed or going hungry or having abundance or suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And he closes with this, Nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my difficulty. There's so much in these 10 verses, it's astonishing how much there is. So like I said, we're just going to unpack three things. We already went through the context. He's in prison, right? Things are not looking good. But no matter the circumstance of the situation, he's choosing to act out in joy, knowing that God is in control, rather than looking at a situation and complaining about it, like I tend to do. He's learned what he says there, the secret of endurance. I've learned the secret of being content. In the midst of pain, in the midst of frustration, in the midst of death and heartache, in the midst of things not going my way. So what's the secret that he's talking about? Well, he says it right there, contentment. It's this elusive word that I have such a hard time wrapping my head around too often. Especially in the midst of pain, frustration, and things not going my way. And you were probably hoping that with this verse, I could do all things through Christ who strengthens me, that I was going to talk about empowerment or how to utilize God's strength in four easy steps. But it's not like that. Now, some of it is. Not the four easy steps part. I don't think following God is easy at all. But how and why God empowers us and how to utilize his strength in the midst of our weakness, pain, frustration, and things not going our way. That's powerful. And so let's do some, some word study on this word content or contentment. What does it mean? In the Greek, it's a word I don't know how to pronounce, so I'm not going to try it. But it means independent of our external circumstances, contented with one's lot, with one's means, though the slenderest. Slender means real tight. Not much going on there, right? Content with one's means, though the slenderest. Basically, in normal, everyday terms, when life gives you lemons, you make lemonade. When life gives you a garden, you grab a tiller, you grab some seeds, and you get to planting. When you lose that game, you lose that deal or that set of keys for the umpteenth time, instead of complaining and getting all curmudgeon about it, you thank the good Lord for another opportunity to show humility. Or you thank the, other, the Lord for another opportunity to grow in character and faith that no matter what, he is still good, even when you lose. I am humbled to see how he wants to use me even in making lemonade or how he wants to use us even in planting and tilling a garden. He wants to use us. I love this. And more than this, it's, it's us partnering with God in, in doing all these things. Why? Not for our gain, not for our glory, but for his sake, for his gain, and for his glory. And this word contentment, a lot of times we just think it as, as this passive, well, I'm going to take the hits, I'm going to take the blows, 
the hard days and the heartache. I'll just sit here and mourn. I'll sit here and be sad. But that's not what Paul's saying. Contentment is a very action-oriented word. What he's saying is, get in there. And when, when life throws you a blow, you take it. When life gives you heartache, you grieve. You mourn and you grow in the circumstance. When life makes your car break down in the middle of the road and you have no idea what to do, instead of cursing the sky, you say, all right, maybe this is an opportunity to minister to the tow guy. You never know. Contentment is one that leans on very heavily at times the knowledge that God is truly in control and that he actually does love us and desire what is best for us. I, I love this story of Fanny Crosby. If you grew up in church, you might have sang some of her hymns. We sang them all the time growing up, and she wrote some of my favorites. And when she was just two weeks old, the country doctor mistook eye drops for something else and blinded her. And she didn't see that as a missed chance for life. She saw it as an opportunity to serve. And at even eight years old, she wrote this sweet little poem. Oh, what a happy child I am. Although I cannot see, I am resolved that in this world, contented I will be. And then in her later years, she went on to write one of my favorite hymns. It says this, perfect submission. All is at rest. I and my Savior in happy and blessed watching and waiting, looking above, filled with his goodness, lost in his love. Does anybody know the chorus? This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice, even when blinded, even when life gives you lemons, rejoice in the Lord always. What about the bad days? What about the sleepless nights? What about the baby that won't stop crying? What about the remission of cancer or the relapse of another addiction? What about the loss of a loved one or a lost job? What about illness? What about famine or darkness or sword? The mentality of the Christ follower is not that we just look at those circumstances and we just take them. The mentality of a Christ follower is that we look at those circumstances and we say, how can I grow through this? What is God doing in this circumstance? Because if I truly believe that he is in control, no matter the circumstance, time, place, I'm going to just trust that he knows what he's doing and he's always known what he was doing since he laid the foundations of the earth, since he told the ocean it can only go this far. He's always known what he was doing, and he still knows what he's doing. And if I truly believe that he loves me, then I'm going to put my life in his hands no matter what it looks like. And what I love is our contentment, our joy is not predicated on circumstances. It's not predicated on, thank God, my accomplishments or my failures. It's not predicated on my popularity, my mood, my hormones. It's not predicated on the happy things or the sad things. It's, it's dependent on one thing and one thing only, and that is Christ Jesus and his strength. Because Lord knows my strength 
is not good enough. And what I love about his strength is it doesn't waver, it doesn't diminish, it doesn't grow tired, and it doesn't depend on my strength, it doesn't depend on our circumstances, and it's not conditional. And friends, I believe that when we look at the passage, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, we put too much emphasis on the word me. I believe our mistake in reading this passage is misusing his strength for our personal gain. And pursuing personal gain the way we want it rather than the personal gain the way God desires, we find ourselves in a deep pit of discontent. And if you've known discontent, you know that it is never satiated. It is never satisfied. It always wants more, and it's never enough what we give to it. So what I learned early on is contentment, though it is very elusive, it is very consistent when I fall in line with it. Now, to give you a little story, um, I, I grew up playing in bands, and it was my dream to be in a band, to tour the world. And my brother and I started a band back in 2004. And in 2012, we were finally signed to a record label. That's the dream for every artist, right? To be on a record label. Because then they're going to pay for you to get an album. They're going to promote you. They're going to get you out on the road. And when we were out on the road, our first two years, I made $25 a show. You, you calculate that out. I made about 150 to 175 a week. And that's before taxes. And I remember just feeling like a failure because I was married, we were about to have our first kiddo, and I couldn't afford to provide for my family. And so I quickly learned the way to make money in the music industry is to be a writer on the songs. Because then you get what's called mailbox money. Those are royalties. So when the song is played on the radio, or even when you perform the song live, or when people stream it, or buy an album, cents rack up to dollars, and dollars rack up to money in my pocket. So I was thinking, all right, I'm going to start writing some songs. And you know, when I first learned how to play guitar, I was awful. But I loved playing. And I loved to sing, which I was not good at. But I loved to sing. And you know what my favorite thing to play and sing for was my creator. It was, it was the way that I knew how to worship him. I didn't know yet how to worship him in my daily life, just you know, working and talking to people. I knew how to worship him through song. So I did that, and I would write songs all the time, and most of them were awful, and you'll never hear them. But when I wrote, I felt God's pleasure. When I sang, I felt his pleasure. And when I started writing songs for the sake of money, that pleasure vanished. Because my desire soon became about me and what I could gain. I stopped using his strength for his glory and started using his strength for my glory. And y'all, it fell short every time, and it was a hard lesson to learn in my life. It's God's glory. God's glory, not my glory. That's what brings pleasure. And it's as Paul says, that's what brings peace that goes beyond all comprehension. It guards our hearts and our minds, and I stopped guarding my heart, and I stopped guarding my mind, and I allowed my pleasure, my gain, to overtake his glory. Friends, that's a good segue into the last step. Enduring the call. Alright, so we talked about context. We talked about contentment. Then there's this last elusive word called the call. 
And the call's a funny thing. Growing up in church, we always thought that the call was where we went to college, who we would marry, those kind of things. What you do with your life. Being a doer rather than just a human being and being a beer, right? And I learned that the greatest commandment is this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as you love yourself. This is all the laws and the prophets summed down in two simple steps. And what I love about this word call is though it's hinged on those things, it looks different for all of us. For me, it was playing guitar and singing for a season. And now it's being the best husband I can be, which sometimes I'm not very good at. And sometimes it's being, or it's always being the best uh, dad I can be, and sometimes I'm not very good at that either. But it looks different for all of us. For you, it might be being the best greeter at Walmart. It might be making the best cup of coffee and giving a smile to somebody who needs a smile. For you, it might be being the best kindergarten teacher, the best plumber, the best firefighter or electrician. You name it. Either way, the call in your life is to be the best at whatever you do, not for your glory, but for God's glory. And I love this. All of us are called to love God and love others as we love ourselves. And this is no Magic 98, Z104, Beatles pop song kind of love. It's real love. Love that acts in thanksgiving and gratitude. Love that acts in kindness. Love that acts in service. No matter how you're feeling, no matter the circumstances you're in. I.e., all of us are called to give God the glory no matter what the circumstances look like. It says one of my favorite verses states, it's not my favorite because it's easy to hear. It's my favorite because it's one of the most convicting. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God, the Father, through him. And perhaps like me, you discovered your passion and purpose through music, that it's a gift that allows you to glorify God and spread goodness to others. Or perhaps your, your giftedness is in something that is of the science world, which I don't comprehend, or the mathematics world, which I really don't comprehend. Or maybe it's being the best painter or kindergarten teacher, or mother, or firefighter, you name it. But whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. And that doesn't just mean you're a work. That means you're going to and you're coming from. That means every conversation being seasoned with salt so that it is flavorful and good. And then always, it's rejoicing in the Lord, always. And be encouraged. It's okay to feel unprepared for this call that God has in your life. When I began leading worship, like I said, I was awful. I knew four chords, and I rarely ever sang except in the shower. And even then, I was just like, I wasn't good. I never thought I'd sing for anybody. And I was just playing drums. I felt comfortable as a drummer. I was in the back. Nobody could see me. And the worship leader didn't show up. And 15 minutes before, the girl who didn't know how to play guitar, who was leading, she's like, do you know any instruments? I said, I know four chords. She said, good. Can you lead tonight? I led for the next two and a half years. And thank God that was before smartphones and YouTube because nobody wants to see that. But here's the thing is I was not qualified for that call in my life when she said, Josh, will you lead worship tonight? I wasn't qualified. I wasn't good enough. I didn't have the skills at all. But God didn't care. He said, don't worry. It's not your strength. It's mine. So 
how about instead of uh, leaning on yourself, you lean a bit on me? And just play those four chords that you know really well. Sing your heart out. So I did. And what I love is he didn't, he didn't call somebody who was qualified for the job. He allowed me to grow in the qualification of the calling that he gave me. And there's this saying we always had in church growing up, God doesn't call the qualified, he qualifies the called. And what that means is simple. He doesn't call us to a task because we're strong enough and capable enough to get it done. He calls us because he wants to use us in all of our weaknesses and lack of ability. He calls us to rely on his strength through all of it. And I promise you, friends, when God calls you, he's going to qualify you. But it takes some preparation time. I think about it this way. If you're recruited to the Marines or the military, you're not ready yet. You have to go to boot camp, right? They train you. If you uh, make it on the team, great. But now you have practice. You have to show up. If you get accepted into college, awesome. But now you have to go to class and study and take the test to prove that you are now ready to do the task that you say you can do. And I'll close with this. Almost every time in the Bible when God calls somebody, they're not ready for the position. Look at Moses. Moses, he, he wrote the first five books of the Old Testament. That's, wow, that guy, that's a huge, and they're big books, right? Some of them have a ton of numbers and names. That guy was awesome. However, did you know, when he was 40 years old, he murdered somebody? And then he fled into the wilderness out of fear and stayed there another 40 years. And it wasn't until he was about 80 years old that God met him while he was shepherding sheep through a burning bush and called him to go back to Egypt. Over 80 years. Or let's look at Joseph. He's one of my favorites. It's what I use as an example with all our students when they're like, why won't God answer now? Why won't he come through right now? Why does it feel like he's not right here right now? I'll say, you know how many years Joseph was in prison before God called him to leadership in Egypt? Sold into slavery as a 17-year-old by his brothers. He was a slave for years until he was thrown into prison, falsely accused. I'm sure he felt like, wow, thanks for this calling, God. However, God had a plan through all of it. Because I promise you, God is in control. And lastly, Paul himself. Did you know before he met Jesus, he was persecuting Christians, literally pulling men and women out of their homes, either throwing them into prison or killing them. In Acts 7, Stephen, he's the first martyr in the Bible, he was stoned to death for declaring the gospel. You know who held the coats of all the men who stoned Stephen? Paul. And then while on the road to a city called Damascus, he runs into God. He was on the way to Damascus to do more killings, to throw more people in the jail. Jesus blinds him while on the road, sends him to a man named Ananias' house. And for three years, he learned everything he grew up learning through the lens of the gospel. And then three years later, he finally goes back to Jerusalem to share all that God did for him. Talk about a weird calling, right? 
What I love about this is you may feel completely weak, but that's okay. You may feel completely unqualified, but God's not worried. He's got a call in your life, and he's going to qualify you along the way. And it may take time. And lastly, Jesus Christ, the best example of it all, left his throne in heaven to come to our salvation as a baby, lived 30 years as a human, working as a carpenter, a laborer, a very poor one at that, in a very small village that wasn't looked highly upon to other Jews. He was looked down upon by even his brothers and his sisters. He was mocked. And he was ridiculed for believing what he did. And then what he does is he devotes three years to sharing the good news that his father sent him to share. And in that time, he went hungry plenty. He never had a home. He had friends who came and went, followers who abandoned him, and some stuck. And then he willingly chose to go to a cross to die because that was the only way that all of us could have salvation. And what I love is in the garden, the night before he's arrested, he says these words, Father, if there's any, any other way for this to happen, can it be so? But not my will, yours be done. I believe that you know what is best. I believe that you've known everything since you laid the foundations of the earth, since you told the ocean it could only go this far. I believe that you are in control. So, Father, not my will, but yours be done. And what a great example that is. That whether it's the context you're in and the circumstances are grim, whether it's fighting with this elusive word of contentment and just trying to see the joy and hope no matter what and rejoicing always through anything and giving thanks in everything, or whether it's this call on your life that God has whispered in your heart and given you a passion for and you don't feel good enough, I promise you, you may not be for a while and that's okay. But through God's strength, he will make you good enough. And where you too can say, no matter the circumstances, you can say, Lord, you're in control. Not my will, but yours be done. So friends, as we close tonight, if that's you, if you need to give your heart to Jesus, be it for the first time, or be it for the umpteenth time, he's never left you. He's not once abandoned you. The circumstances may not look good, but that doesn't mean he's far. The call may look difficult, but that doesn't mean he's not near to help you. So let us pray this morning over our own hearts, over the hearts of our friends and family who are also far from God, and seek to return back to him in the seasons that are difficult, in the context with contentment, honoring the call and enduring it the way he has asked us. Let's pray.
Thanks again for joining us on the Central and Janesville podcast. Remember to check us out at centraljanesville.com. Have a great week.